Welcome to the Garden Path Podcast, life lessons and conversations from the garden and natural world. I'm your host, Misty Little. It's been a couple of weeks since I released an episode, and I had planned on getting this one out last week, but alas, I was in Florida for spring break, which I think pairs well with the topic of today's podcast. I had planned to record some audio while we were doing some hiking on our trip, but didn't get around to it, but I think I'm going to plan on doing a recap of some of those hikes and the plant adventures that we saw here in a few weeks on the podcast. So to get a sense of Florida and to begin that topic, today's episode with Valerie Anderson, the Director of Communications and Programming with the Florida Native Plant Society. You may have heard Valerie on a previous episode I've released on the podcast called Saving Split Oak Forest. It was a crossover episode from my Florida Trail podcast, and I'm delighted to have interviewed Valerie specifically for this podcast. Our native plant societies are one of the ties that links gardeners to native plant gardening, and they're an incredible resource when it comes to knowing what to plant in our home landscapes. During the beginning of the pandemic, FNPS went above and beyond to stay in touch with their members and began hosting lunch and learn programs and then sharing them on YouTube. Since then, I've watched many of their wonderful videos and there's a treasure trove of information out there on their channel. I've also delved into other Native Plant Society's YouTube channels to see what else I can learn. And if you aren't a regular YouTube watcher, and I'm not really, this is a great place to get some information that may or may not be on social media channels or websites. Anyway, I'll let Valerie explain more about FNPS, so let's go on to the interview. All right, well, Valerie, thank you for coming on to the Garden Path podcast. I've already spoken with you once before for my Florida Trail podcast um, about Split Out Forest, and I, I aired that on this podcast as well. But maybe if you can give a brief introduction of who you are, your role at the Florida Native Plant Society, and uh, we'll start from there. Okay, great. So I am the Director of Communications and Programming of the Florida Native Plant Society. Florida Native Plant Society is a 501c3 nonprofit that had been in existence since the 80s. And we just recently added staff. I was the second full-time staff person added behind the executive director. And we now have another staff person, my coworker, Lily Anderson Messick, who lives in the Panhandle of Florida in Tallahassee. And she works on our Terea Keepers and other North Florida programs. Okay. Yeah, so before that, it was purely a volunteer-driven group? Yes, we did have some contracts. So, you know, obviously we have a pretty large membership. Mm -hmm. And so we have a membership database and we do have an, you know, administrative contractor. And we have had administrative contractor to handle that, as well as a few executive director contractors and some policy, right? Because we want to save the plants. And one of the ways to save the plants is with policy work. So we've had a few contractors, but we had never had in-house staff before, um, mid 2018. Okay. So basically you're, you've helped get it off the ground to get it going. <laughs> I, I feel like I have. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, from my perspective, you know, I, you know, I'm, I'm a new member to the Florida Native Plant Society. Uh, it was just a few months ago, really I, late last year. Um, and I can't believe I never joined before. I think I thought I live outside of Florida now that I couldn't join, but I'm like, you know what, there's a lot of information out there and stuff that's valuable to learn that you don't necessarily need to be a member of, you don't need to live in any state that interests you to join their native plant society. So, um, but I've been impressed with what you've done in the last couple of years, especially with the lunch and learns, which we'll talk about later. So, um, but yeah, so you mentioned the Florida native plant society has been around since the eighties. Maybe just talk a little bit about like what the goals of the Florida native plant society is and a little bit about some of the history. So we're really Earthy crunchy, and what I consider to be a, a very conscious way. So our our 
mission statement is to preserve, conserve, and restore the native plants and native plant communities of Florida. So we are comprised of mostly gardeners, uh, although we have a pretty strong science contingent, you know, people doing active research on botany and uh, ethnobotany and uh, taxonomy and stuff throughout the state, as well as a number of members who are land managers or working in some sort of consulting. But our core membership is pretty much people who love to grow native plants in their home landscapes. Right. And so, I mean, speaking of native plants in your home landscapes, like why would someone, you know, I'm just, you know, a random gardener. I've started gardening. I like to grow like orchids and, you know, Florida's full of tropical plants. Why would I want to choose native plants for my landscape in Florida? I would say you would choose to, to grow native plants in your landscape because one, they are providing ecosystem services in a landscape that used to provide ecosystem services before you lived there. Right. So, you know, you had a house, you know, there was a property and, you know, at some point it was probably converted to a cattle pasture or an orange grove. But at some point prior to that, it was supporting lots of native bees and, you know, probably larger animals and other pollinators and birds. And then, you know, when people just put in your standard plastic plants that, you know, are not being consumed by anything in the landscape, those plants aren't you know, they're not being eaten by anything. And so therefore nothing can eat the things that eat those plants. So, I mean, I like the really beautiful native plants. I like that I don't have to replace them all the time and be heading up to Lowe's. But um, my favorite part is going out and seeing all of the pollinators and the birds that these bring to my yard. Right. And, you know, that's something I never thought about too, when I was living in Florida and growing various tropical plants that were, there were some natives in there, but lots of non-natives but I never really thought about how many pollinators were actually visiting my garden. I thought, got a garden, there's a flower, something must be visiting it. And that's not necessarily always <laughs> the case. And sure, maybe a honeybee might go to a plant, but it's not necessarily supporting all of the native bees and the wasps and uh, beetles and things like that coming to it. So what's the difference between like planting a native and a Florida friendly plant? I know you guys also promote Florida friendly uh, species as well. Right. I mean, so we we strongly prefer that people plant, you know, natives when possible. But of course, if you, you know, you know, you still have some blanket flower in your landscape, which is, you know, not native to Florida or um, some other plants that are not necessarily invasive, but you really like them or you're planting a garden so that you have food to eat. Yes. Um, you know, <laughs> we are not opposed to, to those sorts of things. Um, so, okay. So planting a native plant versus a Florida friendly. So Florida friendly doesn't necessarily describe how high quality the plant is it, from an ecological perspective. It might just be not invasive. It might not use very much water. Um, you know, it might actually provide some nectar for uh, birds or, you know, hummingbirds or something, uh, but it might not necessarily also be uh, a caterpillar host plant. Um, right, right. Um, when you mentioned blanket flower, which is something like just kind of blew my mind that they decided that it isn't native to Florida. <laughs> Um, and that's been a recent addition. Um, kind of makes me sad, actually. A little. <laughs> so sad. Yes. Well, if you think about how, you know, native plant growing got started, you know, not everybody was just going out and collecting seeds and then, you know, building a nursery from scratch with local ecotypes. Yes. You know, they were doing like a lot of people who, who you know, want to grow native plants, they go online. Right. You know, find a source for seeds. Well, a lot of these are Midwestern stock. I mean, that's Blanket Flower story is it's yes. a, you know, it's a Midwest Texas native. Mm -hmm. 
So it's not like it's bad. It's right. not hurting anything. You don't have to go rip it out of your garden. It's just, you know, it's not originally from Florida and use that information as you will. Right. And well, that brings me to the topic of, um, and I can't I remember if it was a Native Plant Society publication or um, something like the maybe University of Florida put out. But when I was last in Florida a few years ago, I picked up a little pamphlet that talked about regional ecotypes, even in Florida, which is like, I mean, it kind of blows my mind that they're even trying to attempt to get gardeners to think about where they're purchasing their plants and growing it from one side of the state versus the other side of the state and thinking about how that's adapted just regionally there. Like I can like, it's hard enough to find in Texas, like people growing things from the hill country versus East Texas. And it's vastly different. And nobody thinks about that. Um, but I think it's impressive that Florida is even trying to like talk about ecotypes and in, in regional specific versions of the same, same plant. Yes, we do have a, a publication out about uh, the different lantanas. And I think well, one other species I don't remember, but it's kind of a big deal that you don't plant this like inland. Oh, I think it's Tampa verbena. Okay. Verbicina. Okay. Okay. So how, what, I guess, talk about a little bit, some of the Florida Native Plant Society projects you just mentioned, um, you know, having different contractors out on different projects, but highlight some of the current or historic projects that the Florida Native Plant Society has worked on. Okay, so we have a few main projects going right now. Uh, I would say our sort of biggest project is Terea Keepers. So there's a large, uh, previously large tree in the panhandle that only lives in these ravines and it is endangered. Okay. And it's being affected by a fungus and uh, they're all just kind of like the, the bay trees. They're sort mm -hmm. of re-sprouting, um, but they're not, they're not necessarily doing particularly great. And so we're collaborating with Atlanta Botanical Garden to try and prevent this tree from going full extinct. It right. is functionally extinct in the wild, even though we are finding... Um, our goal is to find, um, so we know, so you've heard of Torreya State Park, right? So they're established. We know that they're in Torreya State Park. So we're doing monitoring little weather stations, you know, how are the trees doing? What are the conditions they thrive best under? Then we're also working with private landowners to identify tag and get cuttings from trees on private land. Okay. And yeah, and I, and I would definitely want to talk to Lily about that project because I think it's fascinating, uh, what she's doing up there. Um, but um, do you have any other current projects that you're majorly focused on? Yes. So there's uh, Florida has a number of native mints, um, many of which are quite smelly and, and nice for tea. And one of these is the genus Dicerandra. So I fe featured Andre Naranjo, uh, the, I think the world's prominent Dicerandra researcher. And so he's done um, some great phylogenetic work and for climate change of Dicerandra. And so these are, there's a, a species called Dicerandra modesta, which is a in Polk County. And it actually occurs only on this one site on public land. Wow. Um, <laughs> someone checked it and it's it's extirpated from its other site. And a couple of years ago, if you recall the Sable Trail pipeline. Mm, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, Next Air Energy put the Sable Trail pipeline right through this last population. Oh my gosh of blushing scrub balm, which is the common name of Dicerandra modesta. And now there's, I mean, Natal grass, I mean, it's, the population is not what it, what it used to be, um, but we're doing restoration and monitoring on that species and uh, a related species up in the Marjorie Harris car across Florida Greenway near Ocala. Okay. So I guess a lot of your funding from membership is driven towards these projects or is it, or do you get grants and other money for that? Yeah, so those are our two main projects because those are grant-funded projects. 
Um, so really very little membership money goes towards those projects. Uh, membership money is uh, mostly used to maintain the organization, like executive director, salary, my salary, and um, contractors, and then also um, our non grant funded mission work. So we have um, rescue and restoration projects in Central Florida because mm -hmm. nobody has to rescue rare plants from development sites. Right. There's no right. laws requiring that. So yeah. that's one of the things we do. Okay. Yeah. So I'm mean, talk about rescues a little bit too, because um, I think that's interesting work. Like you mentioned, even though there's, you know, plants listed under the Endangered Species Act, a lot of them just don't have the protections that animals get. Um, so you're and on none private. Of them do. Yeah, right, right, right. And do. I mean, we're under like English style law, which is basically you own plants. Right. You own the property, you own the plants. You can incidentally take, there's no procedure for, you know, getting, killing endangered plant species on your own property. Right. So you could build a pipeline. <laughs> you could pave a whole development and there it goes. Um, so I guess what happens when somebody, I mean, how do you get word of any of these developments? Do you just hope, hope for the best? Somebody can let you guys know ahead of time or. Right. So our main site was actually, are you aware of the Florida forever project? Yes. Okay. So that was like, you know, really high quality land purchasing project in the mm -hmm. state. And it was pretty well funded for a while. And then, um, you know, we've had some governors and uh, <laughs> we've had some legislatures. <laughs> and so Florida Forever has not been funded at the rate in which it was um, voted in to be funded at. And so um, basically this was a project. Um, our main rescue site was a project that was like the largest sand hill on the Northern um, Lake Wells Ridge. It's in mm. Claremont. Mm -hmm. And so we knew of this because it was a willing seller at one point for conservation. And mm. so the site had been vetted and is a high quality sand hill um, with a bunch of rare species, you know? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so then when people saw the signs go up that the property is for sale because, you know, there wasn't money to buy it. Right. Right. Then, you know, people were watching this site already. Yeah. Right. So then you go in and get people to come in and dig stuff up and hopefully, I guess, I think you guys transplant them to other areas if you can. Is that correct? Yeah. Yes. Uh, so we have nursery partners, Green Isle Gardens in Groveland is one of our nursery partners. And so they actually manage a lot of the seed that we collect. Um, and then we also, um, and they'll take plants as well. And then we have a partnership with Oakland Nature Preserve and South Florida Water Management District and St. John's River Water Ma Management District okay. to um, reintroduce plants, reintroduce to different suitable um restoration sites right well i think that's one of the things i think in one of one of the videos i've watched on your lunch and learns um that's interesting about those projects is just how difficult it can be to like try to replicate um like germination processes or rooting cuttings and getting them reestablished and how long you know difficult that can be yeah yeah um so how many chapters are there in uh fnps we have 34 chapters that's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess, are they all basically similar activity or are they some more active than others? Well, I mean, some are much bigger than others, you know, college towns, large cities. Um, those are our, our larger chapters. Um, and, but yeah, I would say most chapters kind of do similar things. They have um, monthly meetings for the most part. So if you're if you're looking for a place, you can go to fnps.org forward slash chapters. You can find one near you and then, you know, programs uh, of local interest right. and then field trips, usually monthly. And then beyond that, you know, then chapters start to, you know, they start to diverge. You know, you might have in um, Volusia County, we have the Pawpaw chapter. Mm -hmm. 
and their their chapter does a program called the pedal pushers <laughs> you know like pedals mm -hmm. and uh, they propagate uh, locally rare plants and also you know your standard garden variety native plants for sale as a chapter fundraiser okay and um i guess how do they function as part of the main group i guess they're just they all support each other yeah i mean i would say some <laughs> chapters are more looped in with you know the the main society than others. Mm -hmm. um, really, it seems like proximity to Orlando is kind of important. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and how many, how historically, like historically has their president or vice president or chapter re representative attended a lot of conferences? Cause that's really our only get together is conference. Right. Right. So that's, and that's how you, you meet other people throughout the state then. Yes. So some chapters like, uh, if you're a chapter leader, you can come on our like quarterly retreats, which we haven't been doing because COVID, but that was one way for, um, you know, local chapter people who are like, oh yeah, I really want to get in with all the, the native plant nerds and meet all the cool people that, you know, they would come to these retreats. All right. That's cool. Uh, well, I mean, it's talking about just meeting the native plant people and the cool nerds. Like, so who are some noteworthy FNPS members over the years, or even current folks who have done some just important plant work with uh, the society? Yeah, so, I mean, we have a lot of really amazing members. I mean, people like Roger Hammer, who gives really uh, salty, salty conference presentations <laughs> about the, <laughs> the lewd origins of plant scientific names. <laughs> um, Craig Hugel is a treasure. He won our mentor award uh, a couple of years ago. Um, and like our hardworking chapter people are amazing. Um, like Sonia, Sonia Grigi with the Papa chapter. I mean, she is just, her and Melissa Lammers basically, I mean, I'm going to say single-handedly because they created like a whole coalition, but they were like, Volusia, this Volusia conservation land funding was like, it was going to be over. And it's mm. like one of those ballot initiative kind of things mm -hmm. you got to get the people together for. And they just made this like huge effort to get it done. And it's, it, they passed it. Oh, wow. Election. Yeah. And, you know, like obviously FNPS, they told us that we, they were doing it. We have a policy chair and our policy chair was like Gene Kelly. Oh, also another amazing FNPS member. He was like, Hey, I'll write a letter of support. So he wrote a letter of support and we sent like an email to all the members saying that like, this is something we support. We hope you vote for this. Wow. Nice. Well, and I think that just goes to show, like, even though these people are gardeners or native plant enthusiasts, they all come from like different walks of life they bring to table the table like you know people who can handle doing policy and working on grants and and people who are good at fundraising uh it's just a unique group of people who just come together to support because they all love plants um so with some other projects uh you guys do i know you've been really pushing the oklahoma river rodman dam uh issue. <laughs> Maybe you can talk a little bit about that. There's any other issues you team up with other outside groups too. Yeah. So the Akuaha, we participate in coalitions, you know, if they align with our mission and we can work with them, um, you know, we can allocate some staff support to assisting them. And so the Akuaha river, um, so the greenway, the Marjorie Harris cross Florida greenway that I previously mentioned was actually created because um, in the past people thought it would be a good idea. It was a bad idea. Um, you know, shocker right yep <laughs> to cut a barge canal right across florida like literally just cut florida off and Anyways, that was yeah that was like in the 60s or something right it was way back and um 
Yeah. So Marjorie Carr stopped it. That's why it's, why it's named after her. Right. Uh, <laughs> and so basically as part of this, they dammed this, this area and that's now a big reservoir and it was fine for a while. I mean, it wasn't really fine because it like eliminated a bunch of floodplain forests and like probably a bunch of epiphytic orchids and, and, you know, it buried a bunch of springs and then it, it could be really great manatee habitat. We are supporting this because it's just doesn't make any sense why this dam is still here. The dam is not creating electricity. The fishery, it's not really a very productive fishery. And it's just, you know, it could be habitat for manatees and we could restore the floodplain, which would um, provide a lot of recharge and uh, more high quality native plant habitat. Right. Instead of, you know, a languishing reservoir that's really only benefiting, uh, really only benefiting one constituency. And that's, you know. Not, not to say anything bad about fishermen. I'm married to <laughs> married to one, but um, you know, we got to think about the whole of everything uh, in all of these projects, especially when we're trying to restore bad ideas. <laughs> yeah, well, and I mean, it's not even really a very good fishery anymore, right? Um, I mean, when the St. John's was doing a little bit better, they were catching. They have an annual bass tournament, and they were catching the winner, the bass winner. Mm-hmm. in the St. John's they were leaving the dam <laughs> and they're coming back right like you know hey we won the fishing contest but it we weren't even St. John's right right so um did you guys team up with anybody else have y'all teamed up with anybody else in the past on anything yeah I mean you know we'll work with um the Florida Wildlife Federation Florida Conservation Voters Sierra Club um yeah so we'll work with whoever we need to work with to get things done. So legislatively, we team up with, you know, whoever is willing to work with us on say conservation land funding. So every year we try and get more funding for Florida forever. Yeah. Are you guys doing anything with the uh, Florida Wildlife Corridor or the uh, North Florida Land Trust folks? Um, our treasurer, Susan Carr, works for the North Florida Land Trust. Oh yeah. No, she worked, she used to work for the North Florida Land Trust. Now she works for Alachua Conservation Trust. Okay. Um, so Florida Wildlife Corridor. You haven't done any? No, I'm a little worried about that, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah. So the thing is, is um, the money. So the guy who helped get that passed, he was Mm -hmm. a rich guy, and he he just basically donated um, several millions, $100 million to fund the acquisition of land within the Florida Wildlife Corridor. Well, Basically, when you're when you want to protect land, you want to protect a, a mosaic. You want to protect the highest quality land that bang for your buck, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the Florida Wildlife Corridor is only prioritizing one thing: connected. Right. The land is connected to something else, and I'm a little worried that the funding that they're going to take funding away from Florida forever, in order to fund this program at the expense of Florida forever and Florida forever has an actual science-based ranking for what land should be purchased. Hmm. They have these whole layers produced by university of Florida ranking, including the value as wildlife corridor. So, I mean, that completely gets rid of any need for preserving plant biodiversity, preserving um, animal biodiversity, um, aquifer recharge, water protection, anything. The only thing that matters for the Florida Wildlife Corridor bill is that it is connected to something else or that connects the corridor. So you could connect cattle ranches. 
basically. <laughs> or and, pine plantation. Right, right. So it may not be the best land to be connected. Right. And so not to say that there's <clears throat> anything wrong with protecting connected land for conservation. But when we have a situation where politically we're not able to get enough money for land conservation, is prioritizing connectivity the best thing? Right. Say scientists would say no. And as a native plant person, um, right. I would not agree. Right. Right. Well, thanks for that insight because, you know, I don't know, you know, I only see what's being promoted on Instagram about the Florida wildlife order. And, you know, I think it's a very valuable wish because <laughs> I still think uh, based on just politics in Florida, it's a wish um, and a hope and a goal. But again, I don't know the, you know, the political backstory. So a lot of that. So thanks for that little tidbit of information. Um, yeah. Um, okay. So to transition from less depressing things. <laughs> Sorry. Um, um, so I mentioned earlier, like, so you're the communication person for FNPS. And one of my favorite things has been your lunch and learns on YouTube. How did that kind of get started? I mean, obviously I think it started as the pandemic was happening, um, but you've kind of evolved it and taken it, I don't know, really far. And it's been really good. Maybe just talk a little bit about that so people understand um, how they could get involved in watching all of those cool videos. Yes. uh, Thank you. I'm really (laughs) glad you like them. Um, so the pandemic hit and it didn't really change much of what the Florida Native Plant Society does, at least as a statewide organization. We just work out of our houses. It's just me. And it was Juliet, the executive director, but she retired. Uh, and so we continued running a few field days. A couple of our field days got canceled. So I wasn't really thinking, oh, this pandemic is going to really change much. I had more time to think, I guess. Um, but basically my work conditions didn't change at all until we started talking about the conference because we had conference registration open. We had registration for our May annual conference and it was, you know, January, February. And like, you know, there was coronavirus in New York. Yeah. (laughs) And so then I started realizing, well, I'm the director of communications and programming. And the only programming we have is the conference. And that's my, that's the only, that's supposed to be like 30% of my job and it's canceled. Right. And, you know, I was like, okay, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to help the chapters because right, our chapters have meetings every month. I will help them go virtual. Chapters do not want to go virtual. That is too hard. I mean, wow. yes, we did get chapters, you know, adopting Zoom. We got chapters getting their own Zoom accounts, chapters getting go to meeting. But, you know, as a society as a whole, it was not an immediate transition. They just canceled meetings for the most mm. part. Wow. And I, you know, I made like little videos and, you know, suggestions and sent out emails. And, and then I was like, okay, you're banging your head against the wall. Um, there's, there's not enough experience, you know, I mean, we're all used to being on zoom all the time now. And it's like, it's no problem. You send somebody a zoom link, they know what to do. But back then, yeah, not yeah. everybody was on zoom. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, what is zoom? <laughs> right. So, and then I thought, okay, I need to provide programming. There's no native plant programming by any chapters, I need to do something. And so I pitched my boss, hey, can I start, you know, can I do this? Oh, wow, why don't you do that? And uh, so Juliet did one on on companion planting with natives. I did one on edible native plants. Um, Kara Driscoll did one on her milkweed research for Florida milkweed. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, at some point Juliet was like, 
So um, when are you going to stop these things? <laughs> and I was, I was really enjoying it. And I met, you know, I, I just, people were just suggesting, Hey, why don't you have this person? Why don't I have this person? And then I realized that if I cold email or cold call people, they wouldn't respond necessarily. And so I sent them bottles of rum <laughs> I offered. And I said, you know, this rum I'd heard about from like Puerto Rico, Ron de Berlito. And so I was just like, Hey, if you do this, I'll send you some rum. And then they all answered my email. <laughs> like, here's a little bribe. Come on to my con- my uh, my YouTube videos. <laughs> Give a chat. At the beginning, they weren't uh, YouTube videos, actually. Oh, really? You just sent them out like as a, or you just had like a chat, and like people just came to watch on Zoom. As a as an organization, we didn't even have Zoom back then. We were <laughs> old school. We had GoToMeeting. Wow. And then one time I had a really popular presenter and people couldn't get on. And I got so many nasty emails like, oh, I'm blocked from getting on. And, and then I was like, I need to. So I paused the lunch and learns for like a couple of weeks and I researched how to do it. And so then I settled on Zoom and then, uh, and then recording it using OBS and then streaming that to YouTube Live. Yeah. Yeah. You have a excellent video set up. I think you probably have like the best recording set up now that I've watched that video and how you do it all. And that's just amazing that you were able to put all of that together. And I mean, I think it's some pretty quality guests that you have on, um, you know, from just typical gardening to like some super interesting botanical researchers. Um, and then just, I don't know. I learn a lot. I, I think they're very fascinating. Uh, sessions thank you so, so I'm glad I'm glad you did it and well and it made me spurred me on to just like looking at other native plant societies and their YouTubes and y'all's are, is by far the best <laughs> developed YouTube channel so far that I found so wow thank you I haven't gone to California I know they have a robust uh, native plant society there so I don't know what their what theirs looks like but the ones I've checked in the south uh, the FNPS is definitely the better one so I'm so competitive that I have a competition chart for how we're doing regarding other native plant societies and other environmental organizations in the state of Florida regarding our follower numbers. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> so let me just scroll down and I will tell you how we're doing. Okay. So for YouTube, California, we have more followers than the California native plants. There you go. All right. On YouTube. Very good. <laughs> well, I, I just think it's interesting because some of the stuff I'm never going to necessarily learn. And some of it's, um, some of it, it might be worthy on a podcast, but at the same time, like you're seeing like some cool stuff that gets put on, uh, you know, like you would see, you would go to a conference basically. So if you would see at a conference presentation worthy photos and research, and that stuff is on uh, your presentations. And I think that's, it's a neat platform, I think. Thank you. Yeah, I, we get so many more viewers on our landscaping oriented ones, um, but I do, I, I struggle to find people to present who are knowledgeable about, you know, native landscaping. And we just, we have such a good science community and I have such good connections to people doing research here that, you know, I really like running the deep dives in Dicerandra or deep dives into Calicarpa, beauty berries. Yeah. Um, and we just don't get the viewership um, live that we do on the, the more general topics, but yeah. I'm going to keep doing them because I feel that it's very valuable. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I think that I agree with you on finding native landscaping 
folks is just hard to find in general. Um, and I think there are people out there, but they feel like they have to still cater to the general public and, and, and also deal with like what the general public wants and common plants that aren't necessarily native. Um, uh, I, I see that on my end of things, just looking for people in books and speakers like that. They're still like, it's naturalistic or it's natural, but it's not necessarily strictly a native, uh, set up. I feel you on that one. <laughs> I have pitched that the next, well, not the, our next hire, but if we do continue to grow, which that's one, I think, um, thing that we did during the pandemic is we didn't drop any of our grants. We, you know, even though we had a lapse in funding, we kept Lily, we paid for her from some membership, you know, we just, we just kept chugging along and with the lunch and learns. And I think with just sort of keeping it together, we, we grew more during the pandemic than we had been growing. Oh, that's prior to the pandemic. That's good. So if we do keep growing, I think that uh, FMPS should hire someone to manage, you know, like a landscape architect or, you know, someone to, to speak expertly on landscaping with native plants, because I really feel like the demand is there and, you know, we should be promoting natives more in landscaping Mm -hmm. and having someone who can give these educational programs. Right. Yes. I totally agree. Um, to transition just a little bit, I know, um, do you do you have your own garden or not? Yes, I do? just bought a house. Okay, that's exciting. So it's like and a blank it's, slate. <laughs> well, no, actually, I bought it from a friend who it was in the Pine Lily chapter of the oh. Plant Society, and she has basically all the areas that aren't um, landscaped for edible plants and vegetable gardens as native. Okay, excellent, excellent. So, uh, so you're having some fun with that. What is? I mean, what is it like? Like, what kind of native plants are you growing in there or what was there, I guess? Yeah. So there's, there is a non-native firebush, <laughs> um, but you know, I mean, similar ecological value. In mm-hmm. my opinion. Um, there's a native firebush, a bunch of um, salvia, the native tropical sage, um, Darrow's blueberry. Oh, I um, let's see some sable palms, longleaf pine, um, some button sage as a foundation planting, some Bahama senna. Uh, oh, a lot of black-eyed Susans. Like, oh, nice. Up everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. So there's wildflower area sort of in the front and mm-hmm. then um, a bunch of scorpion tail mm-hmm. as sort of a, a foundation planting around the, it's, it's a corner lot. It's a corner, corner, corner lot. Oh, so nice. It's very strange. We're like road everywhere around yeah. us. And so there's like, around the stop sign there mm-hmm. is the um the scorpion tail and then there's like a mimosa patch hmm. really nice mm-hmm. mimosa. Mm-hmm. nice yes yeah no that's i uh you mentioned the uh oh my gosh hemilia right yep. that's another thing is like people uh people say it's native here and it's not native to Houston at all. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, it gets, it, people sell it as like, it's a native plant. Like, yeah, maybe in Brownsville, um, but not here. <laughs> but you mentioned the non-native one. I think that's a lot of confusing. There's a lot of mimic, mimic native plants or plants that are sold as native, but they're not native. And, um, but like you said, you still have, they still have value. They still have value. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is, okay. So you think about each plant, right? So this particular firebush, the only thing it's going to be a larval host for is the Pluto sphinx moth, 
Well, if you go on iNaturalist, look on the distribution of Pluto Sphinx moth, the Pluto Sphinx, Sphinx moth cannot deal with freezing. And so they only go up the coast. So pay, think like um, the Kunti. Right. Um, yes. The, the Atala butterfly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So basically, if you're planting firebush in the Atala territory, you're going to get these cool moths. And that's, it's probably more important to have the native firebush in that particular area. It has bigger leaves. Mm-hmm. Um, probably the Pluto Sphinxes, I mean, I don't know this for a fact, but as a general principle, you know, you plant the native one and probably our native um, caterpillars are more adapted to the native one. Right, right, right. But in Orlando, does it really, it probably doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Yeah, right. Um, I, I know you are a big fan of Split Oak Forest because you have created the funds of Split Oak Forest, but uh, do you have any other favorite Florida habitats or favorite Florida plants? Oh God, well, Florida Pennyroyal. <laughs> That's I mean, that's top for me. You know, there was used to be so much Florida pennyroyal that beekeepers would make a pennyroyal honey off of it oh, wow. in the winter. And I guess that doesn't happen anymore. No. Oh, God, no. <laughs> but anyways, it's minty. You can use it for tea. It's a little little short thing. Um, and, you know, it's great for bees and it's super weird. So, I mean, I really like weird stuff. Yeah, right. No, what about other habitats? Oh, other habitats. Um, well, Sandhill, I would say Sandhill is my favorite habitat just because it can be kind of shady. Mm-hmm. Um, and the panhandle, it's just got these big long leaf pines and then just beautiful grassy ground cover. You ever had a chance to go to tall timbers? No, I've not just, been there. That'd be cool. And uh, do you ever drive back and forth to Florida? Well, we're actually going to be, we're actually going to the panhandle at spring break. We're going to, uh, St. George Island, uh, and probably, probably hang out in Apalachicola some too. So, um, but no, I haven't been in a while, but I'd like to go. It's basically to put it this way, we can go out to big bend or we can go out to the Florida big bend (laughs) and it's basically the same amount of time driving. So it's 10 hours each way. So I'm like, we should go to Florida more often. So it's not that far. Yeah, you should. Well, and I guess like everybody else, I'm obsessed with milkweed. I mean, who's not the monarch milkweed? Mm. I mean, I love all the milkweeds. I would plant all of them in my yard. <laughs> yes. If you could find seed for them. It's probably easier for you because you have access to uh, people who would collect that. But so hard to find so much in cultivation. Yeah. Yeah. And well, you can rescue a lot of the milkweeds, a lot of the upland milkweeds here in Florida. Yeah. But they're not common in the trade. Right. Right. Well, I just want to maybe close out. Do you have any final thoughts about, you know, getting gardeners uh, interested in joining their local native plant society, even if it's not the Florida one, like what's the benefits for them to just reach out and, uh, and, and get involved in, in their lo- local clubs? Okay. Well, I mean, we are a bunch of plant nerds, but I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, we're your people. So why would you not want to come <laughs> hang out with us? <laughs> and then second, secondly, you know, we're doing a lot more than landscaping. So, you know, if you love conservation land, um, your native plant society is probably sticking up for it, either just the local chapter or the state level. And then further, we actually are a part of a coalition of native plant societies that advocates for legislation on the, on the um, federal level to uh, improve protections for native plants. So even if you're in, you know, Minneapolis or something, you want to join the Native Plant Society there, you're still helping the native plants throughout the state of Florida because we're all working together. Right. Okay. I didn't realize that. That's like, that's kind of neat. <laughs> do you guys have, do y'all get together with other groups on, I don't know, maybe yearly or even 
probably less than that. I don't even know if you would do no, that. We have some calls. We're, okay. We tried. We tried to do like a southeastern thing. We do have the southeastern SEPCON, southeastern partners in plant conservation that okay. I've started attending. Um, but yes, it's the Native Plants NPCC Native Plant Conservation Coalition. 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 Yeah. I'll, I'll Google and it. Yeah. We have. I mean, there's like email list and. Um, yeah. Okay. And so basically we don't meet very often, but we do like sign on each other's letters and that kind of thing. Okay. 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 Yeah. Well, where can people find and follow FNPS online uh, if they want to watch your videos or, or even join? Okay. Yeah. So our YouTube channel, just search Florida Native Plant Society. It'll come up. We have a, um, a Waria, which is another one of our main projects I didn't get to talk about, but it's got beautiful purple flower uh, with our logo. And that's our, that's our, um, that's our YouTube. And that probably has the most like just straight up information. That's, mm-hmm. like, that's our biggest content hub. And we have the lunch and learns that I've made public. So most of our lunch and learns are members only. So if you want to see all of that content, you have to become a member. It's only $35 a month for an individual. So, I mean, I think it's worth it. Um, and then of course we're on Twitter, uh, Facebook, Instagram. Lily is fantastic at Instagram. So you want to learn about panhandle yes. plants, you're going to want to give that a follow. Yeah. Yeah. I learned so much from her and I'm like, man, I want to go out hiking with her one day. (laughs) Just absorb all of the knowledge. She's so good. I mean, I don't even know, you know, I thought I was good at plants and yeah. 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 We have a TikTok too. Oh, you do have a TikTok. That's cool. (laughs) I don't do TikTok, but uh, I I watch the secondhand videos when people repost them. Mm -hmm. So, so. All right. Well, thank you, Valerie, for coming on and talking about for Native Plant Society. I'm kind of hoping to showcase a few more other Native Plant Societies. So I think it's great that I kick off that little series with you. Um, and just also, I mean, you guys have like the coolest YouTube channel. So glad <laughs> to have you thank come you on. So oh, thank you. Yeah, definitely feature them. I mean, really, we all need to work close together and we do need to have meetings. Like we all need to work together because, I mean, there's no like native plant society convention or conference for the whole the united states like i mean we are like talking to each other but we're not like networking really as we should be that's it for my episode with valerie i hope you've been inspired to join your own state's native plant society or to even check out what fnps is doing links and information for the episode can be found in the show notes for this episode at thegardenpathpodcast.com that's it for today thanks for listening and happy gardening